Welcome to the Sexual 3 panel. This is the art of growth where we use the Enneagram and the best tools we can find to help you transform. We are in our season on subtypes, and a subtype is your dominant instinct, self-preservational, sexual, or social, combined with your Enneagram type, your number. This week, we are talking to type threes and how they relate to their instinctual sequence. This is how we've been talking about it. We have a relationship to these instincts, and so we're talking to these panelists about how they relate to their dominant instinct, their neutral instinct, and their repressed or neglected instinct. If you don't know your instinctual sequence, you can take our free instincts test on our website, www.theartofgrowth.org. You can also take our Enneagram test there and find out about all of our work from individual coaching, group coachings, and working with organizations, since there is a growing awareness in companies of the return on investing in the emotional intelligence of their team so that they function better together and function better with those the company is there to serve. So we look forward to hearing from you and love connecting with you. But for now, let's jump in with our three panel talking about being dominant in the sexual instinct. All right, well, welcome to the Type 3 Sexual Instinct podcast. And I am absolutely so thrilled to be with you guys. Uh, we're going to jump into this and we've been doing this series now working through all the instincts, because the threes, even though there's similarities, there's also these unique differences that express themselves through the instinct. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. And I would like to just begin by throwing out a starting question. Uh, We'll look at the different features of the three. Threes have this uh, need to be seen, to be admired, adored, and the means by which they do this is through succeeding and achieving, but it shows up in various ways. And so let's begin by asking all of you to begin with answering this first question, which is how does it show up through the sexual instinct? And keep in mind, sexual instinct is that, that ability to take risks, to break patterns, to change things, and also the fusion, the piece of like connection and that sizzle and energy exchange that happens between people. And then thirdly, the ability to broadcast yourself, to put yourself out there uh, and to use the, that attractional energy that's also present with the sexual types. So how do you succeed and achieve? How does it show up through the sexual instinct? Well, hey, my name's Scott. And the biggest way that my need to succeed and achieve comes through my sexual instinct is in the ways that I can create relationship quickly and for a purpose. I am able to very quickly build an energetic flow with another person uh, in a way that allows me <laughs> candidly, I guess, to manipulate them in a way. Um, I guess we'll just go straight there. <laughs> um, it's not what I'm trying to do necessarily, but there's definitely a way in which I can see the way I want to achieve or succeed and how I might relate to another person uh, in a way that allows me to do that. <laughs> so I think that's a major way that that shows up. Hi, I'm Kristen, and I totally agree with you. I flirt and I charm to get my way. Like we went to the zoo the other day oh, yeah. with my family. And I wanted the kids to, kids to get into an exhibit, but it was like an extra add-on. So I meet the guy. I ask him his name. We become friends. The next thing we know, we're in the exhibit. We don't pay for anything. And my husband's like, how do you make so friends good. with everybody? Like, by the end of the day, we know so everybody. Tactful. And they're saying goodbye. Have a good time. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm Jen, and I can totally agree with that. Is I'll zero in on a person in whatever situation, so like a work situation, like a function, and I always tend to gravitate towards like the loudest person in the group, the, the most energetic. So I tend to like zero in with that person. And then there's like, you know, some energetic right force or relationship happening. Sure. It's like at the end of the day to get what I want, but that's the dynamic I have in like most social circles is, is zeroing in on that one person, having that intense exchange. Mm. Hi. I'm Christy. It's funny when you guys are saying those things about like using charm to get to a desired result. It sounds actually a lot like my husband, who's a social eight rather than myself, who is a sexual three. But I think that those things happen for me without me even going into them with it as an intent. Because I don't think to myself, okay, I'm going to walk into this meeting and I need to get this person to do this. But I can read the situation and know what I need to do to get to a conclusion. And whether it's that person is angry and therefore I need to come down or that person is an engineer and needs me to speak to them in this way in order for us to be able to communicate in those types of situations. So I think that's how I perceive myself getting success out of these interactions. And also, Jen, I mean, I will go into a party. I'll listen to the conversations that are going on and I'll hear something and it'll be, it, it's something that indicates there's something more there. And maybe it's like a woman who's like joking, like, oh my God, I can't stand to kiss my husband. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, that there's something else there. And I will like yep. hone in and find a way to end up in a corner with that person for four hours. Yeah. What are you looking for? Why are you attracted to that? I think that I'm uncomfortable with the show that I have to put on when I'm in a bit like in a big party because I am putting on the show and I'm walking in, I get dressed up and I know I look great, but that's like what I feel I'm bringing to the table. Right. And what I'm most comfortable with is like sitting in a corner with somebody finding out about their childhood and like going inside with them and, and all myself and just having those exchanges. So I'll go in, I'll do the thing I have to do and like chat and, be social and charming and this sounds terrible vain, but you know, look good and then hear something and follow it I, into the core. Totally. Yeah, no, that's really great. I love, I love particularly that you said look good too, because, and you know, you look good, but even though you know, you look good, you still want everybody else to know you look good. I, I found the wonderful dichotomy there, but I like how you put that because it's true. There's like a sense to which like there's a dog and pony show, but you're almost looking for that one-on-one -on -one intensity like you're looking for something more than just what's in the room this is the the, the key difference and you're we're going to listen to the social three and the self-preservational three and you're using the context you're in to leverage that sexual energy to kind of bring that into that space and so even if you're in a group with other people you're looking for that that connection that sizzle that energetic exchange but for you as a three, you still have an objective. You still have a goal. You have, an, you have something that you're trying to achieve through that. So that's very, very insightful. How about your need for admiration? You've mentioned some of that. Admiration, adoration. How does that uh, show up? Maybe you can say more. Uh, you, some of you already started down that path, but uh, say a little bit more about that. The need for admiration, adoration, how does it show up through that instinct? 
So I run my own IT consulting business and I have a client of mine. And no matter when I show up at this client and they know that I'm a rock climber, that I'm grungy, that I lived in a car for five or six weeks this year. Like they know all these things about me, but no matter when I show up there, I look good. And I know I look good to the point where I was at one of their sites and like two or three days later, I had a phone call and I was like, wait, who's Joe? And they're like, oh, he's this manager. He's the one who says you look good whenever you show up. I just immediately took it as like a big, like, yes, someone took notice. It doesn't matter that it was a guy. It doesn't matter that it was a girl. Someone knows that I look good when I walk in there because it's like super important to me. Yeah, you make a great point about this. I've said this before about the the sexual energy, and it's kind of works across the types as well. The gender sometimes doesn't matter. It's the uh, it's how do I look, and I want the admiration of both. Um, I have a story about that. Um, so even as a kid, like I was very boy crazy. So it was always second grade. It was always like I would get obsessed like with one kid in the class, and then. Like I had to win his affection in some way. And so it was just like, it kind of like was become an obsession and just like carried on through my whole life. So lockdown last year, um, COVID. So I broke the rules right away. And I had uh, a friend that I met like 10 years ago over. And I noticed that right away I was becoming that chameleon. Like I could feel it. I could feel myself being like, oh, what does he really want? Like, what what does he really want from me? Like, what's going to make him like me? And I was like, kind of like disgusted with myself a little bit because I knew I was doing it. So I was like aware of it, but I was searching for that validation that like, I wanted him to tell me like, oh yeah, I think you're attractive and I think you're cute. And like, I just couldn't look for the, the signs and the body language. Like I just, I needed that vocal like no, you're very special. And that's why I'm here. And I adore you. And, you know, and like that, like right away have that magnetic energy. It was like too soon and it crashed and burned like most of my, my uh, relationships have. But um, I did, I was aware of that. I knew I was doing it. I could feel that in the moment. Jen, I have very similar path as you from second grade on. I think my earliest memories are of needing to be desired. I have memories of dancing around my bedroom and there was a song that Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney sang, um, The Girl Is Mine. And I would imagine that they were singing about me and like fighting over me. I love it. Unfortunately, (laughs) you know, when there was things that happened to me when I was younger that led me to believe that the only way I was going to be safe in this life was for a man to desire me. That was going to be safety. Family friends and babysitters and things like that would always comment to my parents like, oh, she's so pretty. She's going to have such long legs. The boys are going to love her. And I was like, all right, there's my ticket right there. And that's what I need to do. And as soon as my braces came off when I was 15 and I started developing, I mean, I, it was like game on. And I had a boyfriend for probably every day of my life from 15 to 25 when I met my husband. And in those relationships, I always chose a partner or chose the boy that I knew I could get whipped up into a frenzy over me. Like, and I would do it. I would press the jealousy buttons. I would press the insecurity buttons just to see them lose their cool because that was an indication to me, like, I've got this. And I would do that. I was like a serial monogamist. Like I would have, I think my threshold was like around a year. And then I would start putting my feelers out for the next 
relationship and I'd hop right, right into the next until I met my husband who was not going to be obsessed with me. And that's a whole other story, but he's a good man in order to get that, in order to get that, um, adoration now is that I, I wanted for him to be so attracted to me. And like, I need that. And I like when we go places and he's proud to have me on his arm, um, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And for people to say, Oh my God, you've had three kids. Like I do. I'm in the best shape of my life right now. And I think it's cause I hit my midlife crisis and I was like, okay, I'm going to start losing all the natural things. I need to like get a handle on the things I can control. I just feel that need that way. Yeah. I I've had boyfriends since I'm 14, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And I think I always dated down a little bit so they could kind of put me up on a pedestal. I was always the prettier one. So I was never striving. They were striving for me. I do that too. Yeah. It's like you find the ones who are like, you know, they feel like they're not quite good enough for you. So they're like really struggling to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And it's you. I know. And, and I have a lot of people yeah. I should probably apologize to, but it's, it's the truth. It's what it was. This is really fascinating for me as a man because I can't relate in the same way. And maybe it's just because of socialization at that point, which is like a a pretty big differentiator. But like I was always reaching out of my league. That's what I was always doing because I always felt like if I could win, somehow I could win that. That's how I knew like I was good enough. It was like a totally different thing for me. So that's really interesting to hear and you guys. I probably was the one chasing you, chasing somebody else. <laughs> wow. This and then getting my heart good. torn out and just doing it to yeah. myself all over again. Cause I take yeah. everything to heart. Yeah. And it's so interesting too, how like, so I, if I can, the, the need for admiration, like, that whole thing coming out in the sexual instinct. And I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, but I know what I'm wearing. I know where I'm standing. I know how I'm standing. I know, you know, for the most part, depending on the circumstances, like the volume of my voice or things of that nature, like there are a lot of ways in which I'm very conscious of those things. Sometimes not. Sometimes it gets brought to my attention (laughs) because there are certain like subconscious elements, but it's really interesting how that need for admiration can come out in, in those different facets, like hearing you talk about how you're chasing, like, that's just fascinating to me. This is so good. I love the fact that you brought in even the gender difference because that it just continues to uh, speak to the ways that these other pieces, these other components, you know, our environment, our gender, cultural overlays, all these shape it out differently, but there's still the same sort of core driver there happening, um, which is about, do you see me? And uh, how do you see me? And that's still coming through. So let's talk about that piece that you brought up uh, earlier, which is uh, the ability to adapt, to shape shift. I think Jen, you'd said something about that. Let's explore that a little bit. How does that show up in the in the sexual instinct? Jen, you brought up something really important, and that is that you would adapt and shape yourself to this partner that you had and trying to make him like you and admire you and adore you. And then others of you did talk a little bit about that, but could you expand a little bit on that? I remember having a conversation with one of my friends and we had a toxic relationship, but I remember her asking me like, well, what do you like about yourself? What, what's the, the best thing you like about yourself? And I was like, Oh, I like that. I'm a chameleon. You know, I, I can just go with the flow and I can, you know, I'm, I'm friends with this kind of group and this kind of group. And, and then just like later in life, it just, it felt like I'm not really being my authentic self. So it's like, who am I? And 
how nobody really knows the real me. And then, you know, doused out with like a bunch of like partying and drinking <laughs> that I have cleaned up. But I don't think it, that's like, I, it can be a superpower, but I just feel like I was disturbing myself. I would change immediately my persona and even, oh, you think I'm talking too loud? Then I'm going to quiet down. Oh, you think I'm too smart? Well, I'm going to dumb myself down. And I, if I had people like confront me about that, I had boyfriends confront me like, you know, you're really smart. Like, why are you kind of um, dumbing yourself down or whatever? And it was just like, I'm just trying to figure out what you want from me. Cause I guess I just don't really know myself. Everyone, teachers, relationship, everyone. It's kind of a sad being to be in. It can help in some ways and like uncomfortable tense situations. I guess it kept me safe for, for certain moments, but in the long run, it's just, it's just not useful. It's not a useful way to be. I can relate to feeling like uh, you, you take on and off so many different masks uh, that you start to forget the face underneath the masks. It's an interesting, interesting thing you're, you're saying there. I particularly know how in any circumstance where I'm striving for achievement, I can look like I'm successful, even if I'm not. Um, it's an interesting thing to, to relate to people and realize that if I'm not being my authentic self, if I'm not, I don't, I don't know, the word healthy is a little bit uh, overused, but if I'm not healthy, it's, I can become deceitful in an effort to win affection, to win adoration. So I can relate to that in a way. Um, and it's something that I have to like admit to myself and be in touch with in order to, to sort of rise above. Yeah. I was just thinking like in my twenties and thirties, I used to be scared if certain people would get in a room together. Cause I would be like, which, which role am I supposed to play? You know, uh, yeah. like work friends or outside friends or family. Wow. That's huh. really interesting. Yeah, it would make That's me nervous because I wouldn't know who to be. Yeah, yeah. You've got these boxes that, I mean, like, or masks, you know, we talk about the mask, but you've got these masks that you wear and you can't wear two of them at the same time. Like, how am I supposed to be this person and this person at the same time? Holy cow. I like that. That gives you me chills. That. Yeah, that, that <laughs> wow. rolls down my spine for yeah. sure. That's weird. Wow. We need a moment here. This is what's different between the sexual instinct and say the social instinct. You're really nailing that piece, that distinction. If you've, if, if you've shape-shifted for individuals and all those individuals are in the same space, yeah, that creates a problem. It's really, really interesting. I love this. I think this will be very helpful for folks. For those of us who have the, se the sexual instinct and for those of us who are listening to this right now and you have that as your dominant instinct, you're going to relate to some of the things you're going to hear here, even if you're not a three, because it's that like, yeah, oh yeah, I've, uh, I've adapted. I've, or I've shaped myself to have this interaction, this fusion. And as a result, if you do that with a number of people, yeah, it, those show up. If I've done this and now there's a group, I'm not entirely sure what to do. But the other piece of it is if there's a group and you're supposed to do sort of the social socializing with the group, that can be extra stressful for the sexual energy. Right? You're nodding your heads up and down. It's like a strain on the brain, you know, but when you're, when you hone in on an individual, well, then that's natural. That feels very easier. That's much easier uh, and doesn't require nearly as much energy. Yeah. 
Let's talk about your need to maintain an image. Um, and you've talked about that, and I appreciate that. And I would also like to hear places where you are growing and what you're learning about yourself. You've already said some things which are really, really helpful and really good that you've discovered these things about yourself and you're trying to uh, move forward in growth. So uh, feel free to include that as well. But talk about your need to maintain an image and how that plays out through the instinct as well. With the whole, you know, being home for COVID, I still get, I shower every day. I put makeup on every day. I do my hair. I'm dressed. Like the people that are in sweatpants, I don't understand. I have to be like, even if I'm not even going to be on Zoom, I still have to be totally ready. And it used to be the same with the kids at pickup. Like I would have to be totally ready to go to the blacktop for five minutes to pick up the kids and come home and just be home again. You know, like the appearance. I want everyone to think a certain thing. I want to look a certain way. I put on makeup to work out. I put on makeup to do everything. And a lot of people find me crazy for that. It would feel weird for me not to. Yeah. But people have commented like, you know, like I'll run a race and they're like, well, she's got her red lips on. There she is. You know, like it's a joke now that it's part of me. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's cool. I think this is the one that brought out a lot for me. I did my typing interview with Jim I really pushed back on being three because I was like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not striving for money. Like it doesn't drive me. But as we talked through it and I had a coaching session, what I realized is that I manage success by limiting my exposure to failure. So I only extend myself into situations up to the point that I can be wildly successful. And so people are like, oh my goodness, you know, you're working full time, you have three young kids, you're on the charity board, you're on the executive committee of a charity board, how are you doing it? You're you know, super fit. And what they don't know, and, and I broadcast that, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, like, this is a lot. Of course. Like, you know, I do it. But what they don't know is that I'm only really operating at like 50% of my potential because I'm too afraid to extend myself into situations where I could fail because to me, failure is a direct line to rejection. Wow. So my broadcasting is more like when I'm on the charity board and I've been on the board for nine years, I've never chaired an event, but I've been the best at every, and I've been you know on every other part of the board, but I've never chaired an event. And it's because in my mind, I think I can't chair an event. No one will come. It will be a complete failure. And then they'll be like, she, she doesn't belong here. She should not be on the sport with us. And then I'll be cast aside and, and rejected. So I just am always passing it off as I'm just too busy with all of the other things I have going on. But really, it's just a fear. Like I broadcast to make sure that I can control the extent to which I extend myself and be successful. Wow. Thanks for that honesty. That's really good. Yeah. And it's something I can definitely relate to as well. You know, the three gets painted as this achiever, this super successful, uh, you know, person. So it's, there very much has been a sense in my life where I've related to some of that. Um, I'm actually in a season like that a little bit right now where I look at what I am doing and I can say, okay, I'm founded a nonprofit. I'm on the board there. I'm running a business. I'm in a successful relationship. I'm climbing. Like I have all of these things, markers, check boxes that I can like rattle off and broadcast. But then I like think internally and I'm like, well, I'm not doing these things and it's because I'm afraid of them or I'm not going to be successful at them. It's like sports. Like I don't go join a basketball team because I'm not good at basketball and I don't want to go play something I'm not good at. 
that's just the truth. It is really interesting to hear you be very honest about that. It's, it hits home for me in, in real way. See, I feel like a little different. I get some of it, but I take more risks, I think. I take the risk and then I figure it out later. Like I take a risk that seems really scary to me because I'm like, there's going to be growth in that. And then after I make that decision, I freak out, but I push it just to do it because otherwise I feel like I'm not going to grow. And I want the accolade later for when I do okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Quick story about just maintaining that mask. I had a failed business about five years ago and I got into a partnership with another person with a toxic relationship. <laughs> um, we had uh, toxic dynamics going on, but I was like, he's, it was that carrot and the, the shiny objects. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's have a business. Meanwhile, I was doing everything in the business. He was the silent partner. He stopped communicating. He had, he was, became an alcoholic. I was still trying to get his attention and, and I was still like, no, we're going to make this business work. And we didn't have a business, but I was still like, no, I cannot fail. Like, at, like my anxiety was through the roof. Mm -hmm. I had another horrible situation with a guy going on all at the same time. But what was keeping me up at night was this business is going to fail and I need to prove myself. I need to prove myself with him. And so I started taking on smaller um, business around my community. And in theory, it was like something great I wanted to do, but I was walking the walk before talking the talk. Like, like I was faking it before making it. And that's, I learned don't do that. Like maybe in your twenties, you have to take the risk. Absolutely. But I learned how, you know, you can really screw up people's businesses. Like they trust you. And like people did trust me. And I did have those like beautiful one-on-one -on -one relationships with the business owners. And then I was getting all these other um, clients because I was getting referrals because people trusted me. They loved me. We had that connection, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I was living this lie. It was horrible. You guys, it was awful, but Anyway, I ended up getting out of the partnership. I don't talk to him anymore. And I just picked up the pieces. And at the end of the day, it's like, oh, I learned so much. So like, I, you know, no regret, anything like that. And nothing, I didn't get sued or nothing horrible happened or anything like that. But it was a lesson of like, you know what, you know, sometimes maybe it is good to get the information first before you fake it. Like, don't fake it. Just, you know, it's, it's going to hurt everybody. And you don't have to save face. You can be honest and you can be open. And <laughs> I actually like what you said, because it really relates to the question, like about keeping that image. And, and it's interesting for me because I feel like sometimes I feel like a fraud. I have like imposter syndrome and I have to almost remind myself sometimes that I have worked hard and gotten to where I've gotten on purpose. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about like keeping that image in that way. Cause I work to keep an image as a business owner. So my customers see me in a particular way. And I work to keep an image as a director of a nonprofit so that my other board members and the executive director see me in a particular way. It is very image conscious, but there's definitely times where I, I feel like, Oh, I have no business doing any of this. I have no business doing any of this. There are, there are way more qualified people than me that, that could do all of this. And in some ways there've been times in my life where that can be like crippling. And then there are times in my life where I kind of uh, relate to you, Kristen, where I, I find that it makes me like jump. It makes me like jump and build my wings on the way down. So thanks for sharing that. 
Yeah. And Christy, I wish like, I, I feel the same thing. Like right now, I just feel like I have so many huge, great, awesome things going on. I just, I wish I could just finish. Like I, like I, I'm an achiever type three, but I'm not an overachiever. So you might see me in some jogging pants. <laughs> you might see me, you know, say, okay, I'm done for the day. But like, obviously I'm a team. I have a successful business. I own my own place, blah, blah, blah. All the, all the check marks. But like, I just get so distracted sometimes. Like I just need to like, really, I feel like I need to zero in. Cause like all the balls are flying up in the air and I just feel like they're all going to drop. I just need to stay grounded. I guess I wish I could, I really want to do like the nonprofit and <laughs> all these things that I'm passionate about, but I just get really stuck in, I think still performing and still making sure that I'm being this puppet robot master for like my clients. That's the people pleasing side of the sexual three. And that shows up oftentimes and that can become a trap of its own. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it is, it is difficult to begin pulling back a little bit on that. I hear a lot in all of what you're saying, all of you panelists here, you're saying some really rich things, parts of it that are really distinctly three, like the sort of self limiting part of it, which is I'm going to achieve to a degree, but if I, I'm going to take a risk. If the chances are that I might fail more than I might succeed, there's no way I'm even going to do that. So it's measured. It's measured and thoughtfully taken a hold of, but with the sexual energy. And again, not everybody has all three components of it. Because in some cases you might have more of the fusion piece and you might have lower risk piece. Or you might have a high risk and a little less on the fusion or a ton of broadcasting. So all, all this stuff is, is uh, very unique to the person. But what makes it your dominant instinct is you happen to have more of that than you do of the other instincts. So I, I'm hearing a lot of that being played out. Like there's that measuring that all threes do. There's a sort of sometimes getting caught up in a lot of other opportunities that make you look good and make you look successful, but maybe not true <laughs> to your heart. And then there's the discovery of the heart that ha starts to happen. And then there's the, the component of the sexual energy. It's not necessarily about making money all the time. There's other factors for the sexual energy that tends a little bit more towards things that are relational or connection oriented or image appearance. How do I look? Do you like me? People pleasing those components. So, so thank you for, I mean, thank you for opening up this much with us here because you've been vulnerable. You've been honest. I really deeply appreciate that from each of you. So let's talk about the neutral instinct. This is the one that uh, we're calling the second in the sequence of your instincts, your sexual dominant, what is your second or neutral instinct? And tell me how you use it. So my neutral instinct is the uh, social instinct. That's pretty easy to use in conjunction with the sexual instinct, um, affiliating with others. And I tend to be a fairly gregarious type of person. So a lot of people think I'm very social. It actually made COVID very difficult for me. And good, too, because it forced me to spend some time going inward, which, while very difficult for me as a three, is very necessary. So, yeah, I use the social instinct sort of almost interchangeably with my sexual instinct. It's something that I can almost draw on. And while it's not dominant for me, my sort of social nature allows me to have that energetic bonding and draw, I think. 
My second instinct is self-preservation. And I think it shows up most in my health and well-being. Like every day I wake up early, I meditate, I journal, I run, I work out, I do yoga. But I think it's so intertwined with my sexual energy because I do it to look good. And I do it so people are like, people are like, wow, she wakes up at 5 a.m. and she does all this stuff, you know? So I think part of me does it for the good of me. And then part of me does it. So people will. <laughs> I can't help but laugh because that was what, that's what was such a, a vivid realization for myself as I would go to the gym and it was never about health. It was, <laughs> it was never about that. And it's just like, you know, you, you have to come truth. You have to come clean with the truth and just say, look, in reality, I'm just trying to look good. That's all. And then now I've got to start leveraging that to actually use it for my health and well-being. So Yeah, Kirsten, I'm the same. I'm, I, I don't even count physical health in self-preservation for me because it is all in an effort to be attractive. But I would say self-preservation is my neutral instinct because I don't even really think about it. I mean, when I look, think about it, I think of it in terms of like making money so I can take care of myself, like having a place to live. There was like, you know, tools to take care of your stuff and just making sure you have all the things that you need to survive. And, you know, I've worked since I was 14 to me, just you you work and you pay your bills. It's just what you do. And I always just believe I'm going to end up being okay in that matter. And I also come from a privileged situation where like I have family who's not going to let anything go wrong in that respect for me. But like, I don't gather things. I rather have less things than more things. If I have things I don't need, I just give it away. I'm more of an essentialist when it comes to that stuff versus like trying to hold on to stuff to make sure that I have enough when I think about like the self-preservation. I just, I just think I'm always going to have enough because that's what you do to survive. I, mine is the same as well, self-preservation. At the end of the day, it's just like, okay, what do I need? Like, I remember being in a relationship. He wanted me to co-sign his, alone for his car. And I was like, no way. I mean, yeah, it's like my dad definitely, you know, taught me some good skills, but I, I was just like, well, what if he defaults? Like, no way. Like, I just was like trying to protect myself. Um, and then just like with health and fitness too, I, um, I think mine's more, I have to make it a competition for me to like actually stick with it. So I'm more, I'm running, um, I joined this, this girl has like a shake shop down the street and it's like one, I get to see a face and it's that one-on-one connection and she keeps me going. And so that's great. But two, like she gets me involved in these challenges. And so all my fitness and exercising is based on winning, (laughs) which I haven't yet, but (laughs) it's, it's all based around like competition. That's one reason I miss the gym. Like, cause I used to like come home and tell my kids, like I sprinted the fastest, I lifted the most. <laughs> like, and it's not supposed to be about that, but it oh, is. it's totally, it's always <laughs> about that. It's always about that. I've, uh, as a rock climber, I had a friend group and I was always trying to make sure that I had climbed the hardest grade, whatever it was, it didn't matter. I had to be the one climbing the hardest. And it is really, it's really interesting to hear you guys. All of you have self as your neutral instinct. And I have social as my neutral instinct. I can relate to some of the things that you've said, but I suspect when we get to the neglected instinct and why it's neglected, I'm, I'm realizing the differences, which is really interesting. Yeah, let's, so let's go there. Uh, which one is your neglected instinct? Three questions. Which one is it? What problems has it caused you? And then how are you growing through it? 
what I've found is self-pres is my neglected instinct. And it's funny, when I read the question ahead of time, the first thing that came to mind as one of the biggest challenges is I'm achieving so much that I'll forget to eat. And so I realized that like, there are times where I just, I'm like, oh, I don't really think about it. And I know I need it, especially as an athlete. And so it actually comes into conflict with the things that I want and the achievement. And so that conflict has created the growth for me where I go, okay, I have to put things in the calendar or I have to set reminders. In fact, I did it today. I will, I will fully admit I went to the gym. My girlfriend was like, you didn't bring food. I was like, I didn't have time to make food. She's like, I thought you were bringing food on Wednesdays. I was like, you're totally right. I'm going to start setting reminders for myself to do that because that's, I literally have to grow in that space. So that's where I see it the biggest. I would say my neglected is social. Um, and I see it the most at work. I, I'm a fundraiser. I'm an event planner for an organization, for a nonprofit. And I use people up and then I throw them away. I like love them and leave them. As I notice that I do that and I'm trying to change how I do that. If I do little touch points with people, they like come alive. Like I sent out an email on Friday to a bunch of endurance runners that raised money for us. And like, they were so happy to hear from me. They like lit up. A donation came in over the weekend. So I guess I'm trying to work on not loving and leaving, like loving, creating that intense bond, but then like maybe having some touch points to keep them. Some nurturing. Yeah. Nurturing, keep them in my cultivation, right? That's what I'm supposed to be doing all the time. So. Really good. Kristen, I do the same thing. And I think it's a self-protection measure because social is my, not only neglected, but feared, like have physical, by a lot, like, you know, reactions to, to things. And mm. I think that that has doing that sort of being able to just cut ties and move on is a protection measure for myself. And even to the point where if we're hanging out, like not hanging out, but like when we would pick our kids up from school before like COVID started, all the moms would be like hanging out and the waiting for their kids to come out and I can go and I can chat and like smile and laugh and like have fun, but I'll broadcast and, you know, and I've done this so many times, like, oh, I'm an introvert. Like I only want two friends. Like I, I can't handle more than that. Like I don't like parties. I broadcast that so that I can protect myself from not being included in whatever little groups are in those mom groups that, that exist. And when it comes down to it, all I want is to be included. And the reason I can't is because if I were to look at them and be like, um, so, hey, next time you guys go to book club, you know, could I come? That sounds fun. I can't handle if I see a look go across their eyes that are like, oh God, why did she ask us if she could come? We do not want her to be there. Like that would feel like a stab in my stomach. And I, oh, I'm getting like emotional. I can even feel it now just talking about it. Um, like I just can't risk that. And I think part of being a three is that you can read things and people so well. And it's, it's two-sided, right? I see too much. I see too many dismisses. I see too many things that, that hurt. And I just protect myself by not, by not putting myself in those situations to feel that rejection. And this is definitely my area of growth. It's all wrapped up into that protective box that I put myself in and say, don't go too far. 
like because failure is rejection and it's a straight line to dying alone in the dark i don't you know it's just no, yeah it sounds just terrible to say. no no it sounds hyperbolic but it makes a ton of sense yeah, yeah. somehow if we're not achieving and and we we've, we've got that failure like we're not worthy of love Right. And when I was bullied in school, it makes me think about like when I was bullied in school, I was afraid to tell my parents because I thought it would show to them like people don't want me like I'm not wanted. Like they would see the truth, right? Like, oh, there's something wrong with her, which is what I had already decided, you know, when I was young, you know. And so it's just protecting myself from that, from seeing people want to discard me or not involve me or include me. Mm. So yeah, I got to work on that. Wow. Oh, thank you. No, I just that. feel it. I feel it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You just articulated it beautifully. I mean, I think lots and lots of threes out there, that's what's going on. It shows up differently. If it's in the social sphere, it'll show up in the social sphere and they'll have confidence. Oh yeah, I can walk into a group. Groups don't scare me. I, well, I love groups. I walk into a group and I can perform. But then it comes back to yes, but that's the line. If I'm rejected, because I can read and that's one of the talents of the three. Yeah, you can, you can read a lot. That's, that's a soft plot. That's a soft place for you is that, that space. And I love how you even finished it with like, uh, uh, I'm going to die alone in the dark. Like that's, that's the existential piece we can't answer. It's just a dread that all of us carry within us at our deepest core. And we're trying to fill that dread. We're trying to fill it with a lot of things but when it gets stripped away and we're just with ourselves in that moment we feel it and so i deeply appreciate you being as honest and open as you were with us so thank you thanks <laughs> well jen do you want to say something about that as well social is my neglected also because of the same same reasons i um i just want to belong in in these groups so much, but I am so unaware of like how my body and everything's reacting to the situation, the intense situations, but I'm, but I'm also picking up on all these emotional and, and social cues. And it's constantly like, they're going to, right. They're going to reject me or they like me or what can I do to win their affection or it's just, it's too much. It's like overwhelming with big groups, but I've always been social. So I've, you know, I've had to use certain things to get over that fear, you know, like with courage and things like that, because I've always been social. I've always wanted to be in the popular crowd or the certain social situations. So um, I've, I've lost a lot of group of friends. I've had, I have long-term friends too, but over these last years i've i've gone group to group to group it's something i'm learning and i need to grow on too um so right now what i'm doing because of covid i'm able to really select who i let in my life and i and you really can't go out socially or you shouldn't <laughs> so right now I'm, I'm just i'm learning i'm turning a lot of things inward and learning a lot about myself and i'm just going to be more careful who uh, the social circles that i inject myself in yeah that's really good I was just going to add one thing. I've, I've always wanted to be like in the popular crowd. Like that was my whole life. And sometimes I made it in and sometimes I didn't. In my little town here, I saw the group I wanted to be in and I kind of clawed my way up. I think not using my social, but maybe my sexual energy and being on the PTA and making the right friends. And then when I finally got in there, it was so empty. 
and nobody was happy. Nobody really liked each other. And I remember sitting at a party and I was like, oh, I don't I worked so hard to get here and I don't even want to be here. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a shell. It was like a shell. That's a great way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. I've experienced mean girls at 40. So yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> it yes. can happen, but not anymore. <laughs> That's a very, very good point you make, Kristen. And that is, you know, the, the striving at um, getting in and belonging because of the sense that a lot of threes have that they're on the outside of a lot of things. Some threes describe themselves as capable of, of fitting in everywhere, but belonging nowhere. And that's the ability to shapeshift and adapt and, and uh, perform. But that sense of belonging, and I'm so glad, Jen, what you're ta- talking about is learning, you're learning to belong to yourself, you know, and that's the, that's the beginning stage of being able to finally belong anywhere you are. You know, it's the, it's the self-belonging, right? It's the self-awareness. It's coming to who am I really? Because the truth is, as you're discovering, Kristen, and I'm sure many of you have discussed, you know, have discovered this over and over again, you end up in these groups and they are shallow. There is nothing to them of substance and you weren't missing anything. You know, what's missing is, is within us. It's, you know, within all of us. And so, so I appreciate so much this group and what you've shared. My heart has been warmed by you, by your honesty, by your transparency the insights that were shared here as well so big thanks to each of you and uh this wraps up our time together so thank you all so much for joining us it's been amazing having you this is a wonderful active service to the enneagram community and we will talk to you soon all right everybody Bye. thank you so much for listening and for going on this learning journey with us Make sure you are subscribed, and if you leave us a review, it really helps the algorithm to help other people find this work. Find the free instincts test and all of our work at www.theartofgrowth.org. And follow us on Instagram at artofgrowth. But for now, my friends, may you tune in to the good desire to connect, the good desire to go deeper with another. May you reach out to connect without losing your sense of self. May you enjoy the gift that can come from the connecting of two people, the sparkle, the sizzle, the joy, the excitement of going deeper with another. But may you also observe yourself as a separate and sacred growing being. And may you honor your vulnerability as our panelists have this week. Grace and growth, my friends.